This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. When you have skin in the game, it clears your head. And I don't care if it's $1,000 or it's $10. You put even the smallest bit of money on an event occurring or not occurring, you suddenly pay a lot of attention. You're laser focused. It's so fascinating. It is. Look, the thing people are trying to discover, more or less, is what makes a super forecaster. And can you teach those skills or habits? And then the other piece of it is, you know, in defining a super forecast, you don't need to pick ahead of the event in order to make a killing in the stock market. If he knows six minutes in advance that something's going to happen, that is coin of the realm. That is hugely valuable. What's the most you've seen someone make on Predict It? Like, has anyone pulled out like $50,000 out of Predict It? Oh, yeah. Even though $1,000 is yeah, the yeah, yeah. max you could put in. Not, not on one forecast. I right, mean, right, but just overall. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like people who quit their jobs. I've got with me today uh, John Phillips, who's the head of, would you call yourself the CEO or are you the head of? Yeah, or? I'm one of the co-founders of Predict It. Co-founder of Predict It. I've been obsessed with Predict It. It's a, uh, a prediction market. I wrote about these things recently, but uh, just to briefly summarize, it's like a stock market of, uh, what would you call it? A stock market where you could predict events and put money on the line. So I could say, I could I could make a bet that Donald Trump will be reelected or I can make a bet that Donald Trump will not be reelected. And at any given point, that question will trade on predicted.org and it'll trade between zero and a hundred. And so for instance, right now, Donald Trump winning the popular vote in 2020 is trading for 26 cents. If you buy a thousand shares at 26 cents, it means you'll pay, you'll pay $260. And if Donald Trump wins the popular vote, you would make a thousand, you would get back a thousand dollars, so you would make uh seven hundred and forty dollars. So that's a brief summary. And you have all sorts of uh, on your market. You have all sorts of things like obviously the presidential election. You have tons of bets. You even have uh, uh you can bet on how many tweets Donald Trump will make in twenty twenty. You have bets on uh, or or things you can bet on relating to the economy and the recession. I did well. Uh, thank you very much. By the way, I did well on Brexit not happening by October thirty first. I figured uh-huh. any time. A world leader makes a, a huge deadline promise. That's a good thing to bet against. So I bet against that. Right. But uh, first off, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here with you today. And and one of the I, I want to talk about the history of prediction markets and the, and the pros and cons because there are some definite cons. But one of the pros I found, and this is related to have you ever read Nassim Taleb's book Skin in the Game? No, I have not. So his idea is is that there's all these pundits on TV, you know, we see them every day on coronavirus or Iran or the election, impeachment, If but they're all useless. If they don't have skin in the game, is his point, if they don't have actual risk on the table, they're not going to make the best decisions they can make. And so what I found fascinating about predict.org is that once I started, and it's real money you're playing with, once I started playing with it, even though it's small amounts of money, I felt so much more invested in the outcome of these world events and I'm someone who never reads the news, but I I did really intensive research about everything I bet on. Like, I knew nothing about Brexit. I made a bet on the gut feeling that, oh, Boris Johnson is just lying here. And 
it made me intensely research Brexit. I became like an expert on Brexit. So everything, you know, so like when I bet on, um, and I don't want to keep bragging, I've, I've had some lo huge losing bets as well. Let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> I bet on I bet on both Pete Buttigieg winning in Iowa and Elizabeth Warren winning in Iowa in September. And the reason I bet on those is because, again, I wanted to have skin in the game. So I was, knew I was going to make a bet. So I called around to political experts, in particular, Phil Stutz, who's a, a, a political expert, online campaign manager. He's been on this podcast a bunch of times. And he told me that um, uh, Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren had the two biggest organizations on the ground in Iowa. And from his experience, and they were, Pete Buttigieg was number fourth in the race then in the polls, but his experience was that whoever has the big, the most basically volunteers on the ground in Iowa would win the primary. Mm -hmm. So I bet big on Pete, somewhat big on Elizabeth. She was second in line and I lost big on the Elizabeth and I won big on Pete. So I hedged in, right. in that situation. And and right now I'm losing big I, on Donald Trump winning the popular vote. Uh, I, I bet on him at 41 cents and it's at 26 cents now because everyone's freaking out about coronavirus. And that this could be the thing that that does him in in the popular vote. You know, it's unclear, but we'll certainly the prediction markets are betting against him. Uh, so I have a thousand questions, but maybe tell me about you and how'd you get involved in this? Sure, so you're one of the founders. So I, I didn't know that. Yeah, one of the one of the co-founders, really. Um, so I've been in in and around the political campaign business for my whole professional life, and um, it's it was increasingly. Uh, obvious that that traditional public opinion polling was broken. Uh, it was expensive to do with cell phones. People, we, it was virtually impossible to get a scientific sample. And we were in the sample business. We provided samples to pollsters, and we're nonpartisan um, supplier of this kind of campaign technology. And so we were looking for alternatives. And uh, one of the uh, investors in in my company, Aristotle. Uh, was Bill Hambricht, who you may know. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, you know, um, I had, uh, I, I, I didn't have lunch with him. I had lunch with uh, one of his partners right when they were doing the crowdfunding IPOs. You yes. It's kind of like almost, yeah. like, it almost worked, their IPOs almost worked like a prediction market yeah. actually. And they were very innovative and I was invested in a company that was going IPO that way. I think even Google was flirting with IPO and using Bill yes, Hambrecht right. and the, and maybe explain what he was doing. This was like in 2004. Like what was he doing? That's right. And, yeah. And Bill's been a venture capitalist. I mean, he he was the original founder of Hambrecht and Quist, which is yeah. the original technology bank. He yeah, that was, was like the first head of yeah. spotting he, the apples and the rest of it. In I mean, fact, he took all the Silicon Valley yeah. companies public. He was yeah. became fabulously wealthy yeah. from that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um and um so, so Bill, um, I met Bill. Uh, he he uh, was was uh, confident enough in in our business to make, become our first investor. Uh, and uh, and and one day I was visiting with him as I did as I do frequently still. Um, and and he it was before the it was before the twenty fourteen election, and, and he he said. Uh, you know, you should you should look at prediction markets. He said, "I've been glued to my to my computer screen on Intrade, which was a pre predecessor to Predict It. Uh, Intrade, of course, just for people who don't know, uh, was an Irish gambling site uh, that that was really one of the first in in, in contemporary times. There've been 
prediction markets of some form or fashion for hundreds and maybe even thousands of years. But Bill had been, you know, Bill was really interested in the outcome of the election. And um, he had been uh, uh, following in trade with the data it was producing and was convinced that markets have predictive ability, which of course is not, he's not the first to say that, but um, being a pioneer in, in all types of markets um, and somebody who puts his money where his mouth is, Bill was sort of visionary in this regard. So he pushed us into it, basically. And, and, and by the way, I just want to add, you're right. This the, the fact that he was, I didn't know he was an investor in your company. The fact that he was interested in this is a strong sign. Like you, you, you look at Wall Street and the way the markets work and, and particularly IPOs, which is when a company is available, you know, goes public so the public can invest in it. It's a very scammy industry. And in almost 100% of cases, everybody's ripped off except for the bankers. Yeah. And it's kind of just commonly accepted that everyone's going to be ripped off. Like nobody really Including the company it. that's going public. Oh, yeah. Right. They're, they're ripped off the most. Yeah, that's so, right. So, so what, what Bill did, the innovation he did back in 2004 was to actually fairly price IPOs so that the bankers, including him, uh, and, uh, would make the least amount of money so that the shareholders in the company can make the most amount of money. Right. And so it was he he's, he is a really innovative guy and you know and, and that's on top of being the first to kind of start a bank out in Silicon Valley and and bring all those that's companies right. public. So so he's he seems like I don't know him but it seems like he's an honest guy. He seems very innovative. So, and and this is you know prediction markets as you mentioned he he was glued to in trade, there was the prediction markets have been going on since about the '80s. I think there was the University of Iowa election markets that started in 1988, mm -hmm. and so there's a history of this. But then in trade became the dominant one, and then we'll get into the the cons of all these things because yeah. it led to the downfall of of in trade. Right. Um. Uh. But okay. So I, I just wanted you to. I just wanted to mention that about Bill right. that th that it's not insignificant that it's not like some random guy was your investor. Like, this is the guy who, who he, should be your Bill, investor. <clears throat> I mean, Bill changed my life and the life of many other entrepreneurs and, and people. How? Well, I mean, you know, I, my, my younger brother, my younger brother went to MIT. Um, I, uh, when we both graduated, um, we, did, we basically needed to get work. We needed jobs. And, and uh, like a lot of people, uh, I think we were probably unemployable. Uh, but you major in? Uh, I was a physics major, then aerospace engineering. Um, yeah, that's useless. Yeah, right. Right, <laughs> but and it, you know, which I haven't really put to use in the in in all the years since. But Bill was, you know, he um, he quickly spotted what he thought was a place where um, the innovation, you know, disruptive in innovation was possible and where he could make a buck. Uh, and he's been in he's been in the this deal for more than twenty years. Uh, which deal? The uh, Aristotle deal. So, what was Aristotle originally? So, Aristotle was and continues to be uh, one of the pioneering uh, uh, providers of election technology to people on a nonpartisan basis who want to influence decisions at the ballot box. You have a community group, a mosquito. You want you're running for mosquito board, or you're running for president. Often. Uh, you'll be using some technology that Aristotle has created. Like what? Or, like what's well, online fundraising. We were the first uh, oh, okay. in the online fundraising business. It, in fact, that the story of that one's another podcast, perhaps. But it was illegal in 1996, uh, and uh, to make a contribution to a political candidate with a credit card, illegal. Uh, Why? The, well, uh, you know, the regulators had thought that. 
um, people, I mean, the, the theory was that if you allow credit cards to be used for a contribution, then people will make a contribution, they'll have their company reimburse them on the credit card. I mean, it's convoluted. It made no oh, sense whatsoever. May, maybe also there could be a danger of chargebacks. Well, maybe, but you know, the point was the internet was just coming becoming available in campaigns. And the two campaigns that embraced online fundraising as offered by Aristotle and a uh, a direct competitor of ours, a friendly competitor. The two campaigns were John McCain and Bill Bradley. And we took, but we, they couldn't take contributions online at that point because of this ban on credit cards. And so with them, we went to the Federal Election Commission and challenged the rule, banning credit cards. And almost as an afterthought, they, they said, yes, yeah, sure, we'll drop that restriction. Uh, which was the birth of online fundraising from that point forward. So this was uh, 2000? This was earlier than that. This was in, I want to say it was 96 or 98. Bradley oh, and, and, oh, yeah. and McCain. No, it had to be 92. It, it, was, uh, it, w- it was not 92 because that was the per- Perot was one of the people also. Uh, kind uh. of interesting. This is a whole different conversation. No, but it's interesting. This, I'm fascinated but, by all this stuff. Um, we'll we'll look it up. But but bro, I, you know what? As I'm thinking about this, it had to be um, prior to 2000. It had to be 92 because Bradley Bradley. I didn't know McCain ran in 92. He ran in 2000, but Bradley ran in 92. How about 96? I doubt he would have run against Clinton in the primaries it's in 96. You don't remember this stuff. It seems so real at the time. Because in 96, Clinton was unopposed in the primaries. Uh. And Bradley, that's right. It was Bradley. It had so it had to have been ninety two. And, 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 and McCain by was opposing. Well, but McCain was opposing Bush. Yeah, so maybe because I remember Bradley joined Allen and Company as a banker, yeah. uh, basically around two thousand. But maybe it was right after. Maybe maybe it was either ninety two or two thousand. Because right. if you if you're talking, they were both in the same election. It was two thousand. Yeah. I, I can't remember if Bradley ran in 92 or 2000. I'm, yeah. I, my trivia knowledge fails me here. Right. Oh, I, I remember the, I remember the, I hope this was edited. So, no, no, it looks like two senile guys talking to each other. All right. So, um, McCain was, a, was, was especially at the forefront. And Bradley was an innovator, but McCain was a fighter. And McCain was at the forefront because the Republican Party was trying to deny him access to register, in addition to this other thing, which was unrelated to the Republican Party. McCain was being denied access to the registered voter rolls in Virginia and a couple of other states. Why? Are they allowed well, to do that? Well, no, it's unconstitutional, right? There's equal access, equal protection. Yeah. But tell that to the Republican Secretary of State or Board of Elections when they're the fix is in for you know Bush or whoever it was that 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 he was fighting against at the time, and and that was another fight that went you know that went up the legal that went up the court chain. Uh, and was resolved in in favor of equal access. And from that point forward, um, and, and again, this we are in the beginning stages, the infant stages of campaign technology at this point. There really was no widespread use of the internet to speak of at yeah. all. Um, but th- that's how, anyway, Bill spotted the potential. Back to Hambrick. Bill spotted the potential of disruptive technology in 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 markets. And if you consider an election a market of sorts, where consumers are voting with their vote rather than their pocketbook, uh, he he was always very big on on um, sort of leveling the playing field so that the best ideas, rather than the guys with the biggest pocketbook, uh, managed to to at least make their voice heard. And once, and the theory was, I'm speaking for Bill now, but uh, 
I think he would agree that once you once you have a level playing field getting to the ballot box, voters, generally speaking, will make the right decision whether they're voting for somebody right, way down the totem pole or somebody What, what do you mean that road. voters will make the right decision? Well, if they're armed with information, party, you know, party organizations aren't the best at... They're, they're in the incumbent protection racket. That's, that's what they do. And that means the biggest threat to incumbents is not a, an opponent on the, on the other side on the, you know, in the general election. They don't lose their elections in the general. Most of these guys, once they get, win a primary... Or get right. the nominee. So particularly if in you like can, Congress or, right. or and local. So, yeah. And so the Democratic Party uh, and the Republican Party in, in, you know, and it's shifted and it changes, but political parties are, are you know, engage, often engaged in, in infanticide. They, they try to strangle anybody that's coming up the chain who's new and different and, and appeals direct, which is why these campaigns need to be able to appeal directly to voters, especially in a primary situation. So we've gotten a little bit off track, but... Uh, that's what Bill saw. Bill invested. Um, he brought in some other investors, uh, and and we were you know we were off and running. We'd been running the company sort of, in a, I'll say in an amateurish way, not having had any business edu- formal business education or experience. But we we were my brother and I were were able to to uh, take the business and and grow it sufficiently that it attracted investors, and so. Um, I know you. You've started twenty businesses. Uh, it, it's, it's and I'm not proud of it. <laughs> well, uh, you know, there's there's each each different phase of a company's yes. growth and is different, different yeah. challenges, but also it, it teaches you different things. So we're we're over hundred employees. We we uh, I'm talking about Aristotle now, uh, and we came to predict it because we we believed that there was a future for. Uh, markets again. There was a there was an institutional, a legal barrier um, that was there um, that that predicted one of predicted predecessors, I guess we'll call it uh, in trade, uh, had run smack and in, smack into. Now you know they were a gambling site. They were offshore. Uh, right, and, had, and just to summarize, like there's a lot of hurdles. Right, a you know. You can argue even the stock market is gambling. Okay. Oh, because you know you own, yeah. it's not like you own Apple forever. You just buy Apple stock. Oh, I'm I'm betting it's going to go up for a day. Right. It's like not based on anything about Apple. It's just based on something else. So it's gambling. So when you gamble on things other than companies, which is what a prediction market is, that really is gambling to some extent. And so that's one pos- well, hurdle. The other hurdle is, and this is in trade, and even. You know, this is very rare, but it's happened across all the prediction markets. Sometimes an outcome is unclear, and then you have to figure out oh, how yeah. it's resolved. Yeah, you know, because people are betting on it; they have money at stake. They yep. want, and they, and if an outcome looks not yes or no, but unclear, people will start arguing and, oh, and suing. Yeah. yeah. So, and then the other issue is, which is a more philosophical one, but you know, the the original decision prediction markets uh, uh, dealt with this. You could bet on, for instance, someone to die, and then you have this weird assassination market that right. could result. Like you could, right. there's incentive now for weird, uh, strange outcomes to happen. People can influence the outcome on some of their bets. So there's there's no such thing as insider trading, and it's a weird concept. These, you know, when it, when you it, get into esoteric uh, uh, predictions, it, it it is, and 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 though you just mentioned a couple of really interesting. Sort of angles to this that that we've we've been 
experimenting with and thinking through. Um, you know, the, I, I was just going to say that the the there's been betting on politics for a hundred years, right? You could buy, you could bet on down on Wall Street or Jane Street or someplace down there. You could you could wager on the outcome of presidential elections, and uh, uh, it wasn't until. Uh, Intrade and Iowa Electronic Markets came along. Now, Iowa Electronic Markets is interesting because they really were much more the the predecessor to predict it. Uh, Iowa Electronic Markets. There, there were some uh, academics at University of Iowa who went to who who wanted to see how markets were could be predictive of events event contracts. Now, they went to uh, Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa and said, "We would like to your help um, getting." Um, getting a, a no-action letter, meaning relief from the Commodities Future Trading Commission so that we can open up a, a an events market around, principally around politics. And there were certain limits on it, but they got a no-action letter. you could letter. bet up to $500? Exactly. Good memory. So it's $500 was the maximum you could put into any of these contracts. It functions, you described it well, it functions as a, the, the way to think, I think about it when I try to describe it to somebody, this is these are $1 winner-take-all contracts, the price of which fluctuates based upon what the odds are of an event occurring according to people who are invested in those contracts. Right, so so a couple things there. It's a $1 contract, but you could buy like 1,000 contracts. You so can you could buy, put $1,000 Now you're risk. limited to $850 in any of these contracts. You can reload if your the value of your investment goes down, but, the, but there's an $850 cap on the amount of money you can invest in these contracts. Is that your cap or is that a legal cap? That's an F, that's a CFTC cap that was imposed. But And, and I was going to say there was a $500 cap and the way it got the $850, like why $850, why not $875, is that $850 when Victoria University of Wellington, New Zealand, which is our partner in this effort, and the academic sponsor, when they went to the CFTC, the discussion was we want to raise this limit because it's an artificial cap. It might reduce liquidity such that you, you won't have the price discovery that you want from the market. And they and the <laughs> settlement was we'll just adjust the five hundred for inflation. That's how it came to be eight fifty. Uh, now the eight fifty cap has had some salutary effects in terms of how the prediction market operates, and I'll I can get into that. But it has to do with potential Russian oligarchs, for instance, trying to throw the election. Uh, putting a million dollars into a, you can't do that and predict it. I see. So, so for instance, because these prediction markets have been more and more known each election, the actual prices that uh, somebody, you know, the, the the price fluctuations are noticed it, sometimes, not a lot, but I've seen it more and more. Sometimes the um, these are noticed more than the polls even. Yes. So if suddenly. Um, you know, I'll take Bernie Sanders' example. If suddenly he spiked up right before Super Tuesday, it might hit the news that, oh my gosh, Bernie Sanders has a chance on blah, blah, blah. And and that will affect elections because it's suddenly in the media. It's like That's free right. advertising for for the Bernie Sanders campaign or whatever campaign. But right. So you're saying that uh, there's a cap because big players could influence Theoretically, the news. they could influence. Now, what, what, what happened? Not that much. With, yeah, and, and what happened with Intrade, there's this so-called Romney whale. Right, and the Romney whale put at least a million dollars into, into. There was no cap, right, within trade. In trade was basically operating, some would say illegally, but offshore with no limits of any kind. And in trade had some other interesting things. You had to, you had to sneak your money over to Ireland. You had to put it into a dodgy bank there, and then you never were sure you were going to get your money back. 
uh, all the risks inherent in online offshore gambling. Uh, and and um, this Romney whale put money in, whose identity has been, no one's really sure who it was. There's theories as to who it was, but I don't know. Uh, but what are this, the theories? Well, it's, you know, so it was pretty, pretty clearly in a supporter of Romney. Uh, so you can sort of narrow that down. It was in the, it was in the closing days of the election. Uh, now, what happened was the market functioned exactly as the market should function, which is the Romney, the Romney whale with a million-dollar bet lost his million dollars. And other traders in in-trade were happy to take his money away from him. And that's basically what happens as you, from your personal experience. If you, make a, if you buy a long shot or you, buy, you put your money down, if you guessed right, you get a buck back for your investment of 50 cents or 20 cents or whatever it was. If you guess wrong, you lose your money. Right. So it's, it's as opposed – well – it's so interesting, and we'll, we'll maybe talk about strategies towards the end, but uh, sometimes it pays to put a bunch of um, bets on what, again, Nassim Taleb would call black swan events, events yes. that are very unlikely to happen. Uh, an example might be uh, you, have, you have an event uh, that you, in, on the prediction market. Who is the next Supreme Court justice likely to leave the court? Right. And so— the the winning right now the, the the market's still happening because no justice has left the court since you started this uh, event. What, what do you call this market or this? We, we call it a market. Okay, and, so, and in the market there are different contracts. Contract for you know each of the Supreme Court justices right, so to a, be the next. Yeah. So so Ruth Bader Ginsburg yep. is first with like eighty six cents. Right. So people think so that sort of means people think there's an eighty six percent chance. It doesn't quite equate right. to probabilities, but you could almost think of it. People think there's an eighty six percent chance. Yeah. You'll, that she'll be the first to leave the court because they're betting she's going to die. Right. And uh, uh, if you bet on that, you you bet 86 cents and you have 14 cents upside. If she dies, you know, you get your 14 cents, you know, it goes up to a dollar instantly, that contract. Or and, she leaves the court for any reason. Yeah, if she leaves the court for any reason, but I think they're betting on, realistically, they're know. betting on death. Yeah. yeah. Or, or she's so ill that she leaves. Yeah. Clarence Thomas is number two for some reason at 15 cents. I placed a bet in that market on Stephen Breyer because he's 81 years old. Mm -hmm. He's it was only quote unquote trading at six cents, and I figured okay, uh, there's there's 93 cents upside, six cents downside. I, you know, small bet, it's not so bad. And if he even gets a cold, I'll, it'll spike up to 12 cents, and I'll take the bet off. Unless two Supreme Court justices get a cold. Right. In but, case. but again, he's the 81-year-old. Right. He's the this next oldest right. after Ruth Bader so, Ginsburg. So, so those are, that's an interesting, it gets back to your earlier question about, um, uh, you know, a touchy subject, which is the assassination sort right. of things. And th those are illegal. And, and those are carved out in the no-action letter, which the Commodities Future Trading Commission uh, gave, and it's posted at their website, gave to Victoria University of Wellington, New Zealand, which, as I said, was the academic part, the first academic partner. There are now 190 different researchers and others looking at it. So we can talk about that in a little bit. That's interesting in and of itself. Is who? What are these people studying? Right. That is very interesting because their their argument is, and again, we'll talk about it, is that what's happening. And this is what we were talking about earlier with the Romney whale. Yeah. What's happening in the prediction markets? How accurate is that in terms of? the actual probability of an event happening. Right. And, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. I'm still yeah. curious about the evolution of, of this. Sure. And by so, the way, I just find this to be so fascinating that you can make money betting on elections, all yeah. these things in this very 
easy to use interface, you know, whether it's predicted.org or or one of these other, I don't even know what other prediction markets are out there. I, I primarily use yeah. predicted.org, but it's just a, a fascinating topic. Right. We're the, yeah, predicted is the only one that's authorized with a no action letter from the Commodities Future Trading Commission. But of course, there are offshore gambling sites that, you know, there are dozens of places you can go and gamble. Now, these, there are other aspects to those sites. And you can bet on sports, for instance, which you can also bet legally in the United States on sports with licensed gaming op- online gaming operators. And they have limits and they've got all kinds of things that, that there's, they a, there's also decentralized with. where you can make your own event market, which I want to get to later as well. That, that does get related to these death markets. But um, uh, but anyway. Uh, so anyway, so, so, so the, um, you know, the, the, the genesis was we we believed that markets have I mean, markets have predictive ability the price of oil pork bellies you name it number you know tesla cars all that stuff markets have predictive ability because they're highly efficient the theory is that one of the theories is that they they are highly efficient at distilling billions of pieces of information that's floating around out there rushing into the to the marketplace of information and distilling that information all that data uh, into uh, uh, prices meaning odds and risk right so the chance that the oil prices are going to go up or down you can right now you can invest on Wall Street on oil futures right for which is totally gambling. Uh, but well, yeah, I mean, because nobody nobody's buying the oil and storing it in their closet and then selling it later. You know, you don't really, you know, most people don't really think of themselves as owning right. some oil when they buy oil prices or when they right. or or owning a piece of oh, I own some of Apple, you know, computer because I own it with one share of stock. It's really, but again, it, that's neither here nor there. It, but it, it, it's interesting. But one, I just want to kind of every now and then interpret what yeah. you're saying. So there's billions of pieces of information out there in the market, not by any one individual investing in the market, but by all the individuals investing in the market. That's right. So if Apple stock was, let's just hypothetically say $100, it's people always argue, oh, it's overvalued, it's undervalued. But this is millions of people making decisions that kind of fairly, I, I think in general, as, as you're kind of pointing out, the markets, the prices in the market are pretty much accurate like apple is usually where it should be in general not not at the fringes and that's where there's opportunities and and maybe we're even in an opportunity now with coronavirus but who knows and uh i always ask people like you know sometimes somebody will come up to me he's like oh i'm gonna i think apple's cheap here and i always ask them why do you think you have there's, there's another 7 billion people on the planet. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say most of them are, let's say there's 100 million people who could be active investors. What gives you an advantage over the other 100 million minus one? You have to have some edge and that holds for even your prediction markets. So I described the 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 bet I made on Iowa. It's because I called somebody who was on the ground in Iowa mm-hmm. and learned something that wasn't in the news. Right. You have to have You have to have some reason to think you have to have a philosophy behind every investment other than just like, oh, my gut tells me, right. blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, that, that gets a perfect segue into what these, what these almost 200 researchers are looking at, independent of one another in terms of prediction markets. And, and we provide, you know, they, they are trying to understand why markets are so accurate. What makes a super forecaster? That's a perfect area. How does, how does somebody 
who is more accurate at predicting the outcome of the Iowa caucuses than some than 10 other people what are the habits that caused that person to predict Iowa and do those same habits is that same person as good at predicting in the New Hampshire primary or the number of coronavirus cases are going to be diagnosed in China next week that's kind of that that's a really interesting area what is it about that because it's not completely random right there's something about their their habits or the way they go about this and is it here's another question is somebody from Iowa better at predicting the outcome of the Iowa caucuses than somebody from New York you know it's interesting you ask that because the biggest mistake i made on predict it was when i let my emotions get involved so a lot of times i see people bet on you know let's say they bet on bernie sanders or joe biden or donald trump because they like that candidate and that's a bad way to invest because you're not thinking rationally you're thinking hopefully mm-hmm. like everybody thought everybody who was for andrew yang thought andrew yang was going to be president even though the odds were huge against him and of course if they had bet they would have lost i made when when bloomberg first announced i didn't i only knew him as as mayor of new york and he seemed to have done an i didn't know i didn't really follow him i didn't really know anything but i figured okay the guy's a billionaire the guy, person who spends the most amount of money tends to win um i got super excited all of a sudden and i thought this has got to be a great bet so i bet i went all in i bet like a huge bet at 10 cents or something like that and then he instantly fell to six cents and and it took many months before his money started to kick in and then he went up and then i cleared out once i was a little up on it but that was a case where like man i just because i was in new york i i was too influenced by the fact that everyone was excited about him here that's so that's i have heard that so many times specifically in reference to bloomberg that's funny The doormen in the building that I live in are avid predicted traders. And and really and it was interesting to see how they described their reasons for why they well, were going, you know. Because we were, all know he could buy an election. Well, they buys, were, yeah. yeah. And they, but was Bloomberg ever a screaming buy? I don't know. Uh, but the fact of the matter is there are a lot of people who thought that he was. And again, you may think, I think you described this to me a little bit earlier, but you may think Bloomberg is a, great buy at 10 cents and a must sell at 25 cents. So you wait till he goes up. You don't have to think he's actually going to get the nomination. You can think that other people are going to think he's going to get the nomination and Bloomberg's going to have good days and bad days and you're going to get in on a bad day and get out on a good day. You might get back into the Bloomberg's on on uh, on the next bad day. And then that's of course has to do with how you assimilate all this information and keep your emotions out of it if you can. It's so important to keep the emotions out of it because yeah. it's so we we all have opinions on these public events that should have nothing to do with how we um bet or I don't want to use the word bet um how we invest in forecast these yeah it's like, right. but like with with Bloomberg once I was down and I realized my mistake I I figured okay at the very least, there's going to be an uptick from here because I know he spent 200 and then 400 million, and that had not yet kicked in in the public imagination. And then there was this one week where suddenly he was, uh, oh, is Hillary Clinton? Did he offer the VP no- nomination to Hillary Clinton? And he shot up. I was up, and I just cleared out. Then I figured yeah. that was 
And I I debated staying in because then your the emotions are when you're going up, you kind of want right. to Conf- stay. It's confirmation in. bias, right? Yeah. yeah. Every I, piece of news you get supports the decision you made right. in your own head. You but say, I, yeah, I was a genius. I of course. I, you but know. I figured it was a mistake in the beginning. Yeah. So once I was up, I I so that, so I wasn't betting on Bloomberg. Once I realized I made the mistake, I was no longer betting on Bloomberg to win the nomination, but I was making a bet, a shorter term bet, that he would have an uptick and I would get out at a better price. I was happy to get out profitable, but I would have taken any uptick. Well, you know, the, the convention hasn't taken place yet. He may still be the nominee. He may still win, but I'm, I'm out of the bet. <laughs> so <laughs> you might want to get back in. Who knows? You know. No, no, I'm, I'm not getting back You're in. You're done. You're done with the Bloomberg. Because look, well, we, that, this, that's a different podcast. <laughs> we, could, we could argue about politics for forever. Yeah. No, I'm I'm not encouraging one way or another. I just I think it's fascinating how people, you know, there's there there are there are biases that people have, or you talk to you can say it's sort of internal algorithm as to what when you think something's going to happen or not happen. It's not just politics, but politics is fascinating because it's you know these are event markets, right? There are all kinds of events. Will Tesla produce you know um, the the next million cars by you know 2025? Uh, all those things are event events that where the the price discovery, meaning being able to roughly affix odds, is enormously valuable. And pundits and others are, and polls certainly are. Are polls are good for certain things in a political campaign? I've managed campaigns before, here and in other countries. Really? And, yeah. And polling is 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 invaluable for certain things. If you want to understand, because polling asks you. What you, the respondent to this poll, what do you want to have happen, right? Are you going to vote for so-and-so or are you going to vote for such-and-such? That's the fundamental thing that, that a poll does. And then it goes further. A pollster, the really good ones, can say, why do you think that? What is it about? Is it health care for all? Whatever it is. So you can understand, get deep into what, what people want to have happen at this moment in time, and then why they feel that way. That's not a very good way of predicting what's going to happen six months from now. It's a terrible way to predict what's going to happen six months from now. And markets are much better at anticipating what the price, the accurate price should be, meaning roughly the odds, as you say, uh, for a particular event occurring or not occurring way down the road. But but let me ask you about that, because look at this Democratic nomination. I would say throughout almost all of it, Biden was number one, in the polls nationally, not on, it was weird because on, he, there was a period where he wasn't number one in any state, but he was number one, just a national, who do you want to be? If you're a Democrat, who do you want to be president? Biden was like number one. And that poll, and he wasn't number one. I, I forget where he was on the standings in predict it, but. No, the guy was at death's door. I mean, yeah. in some of these I, places. So I feel like right. the polls were more accurate than predicted in this case on Biden. The well, national polls. Well, um, w- again, we'll have to see what happens. At, you know, when we get yeah. to the convention, but it, it it could very well be. You know that that, that it's even you know e- even a blind squirrel get finds a nut every once in a while. And the fact of the matter is, the the polling is. I mean, pollsters will tell you that polling this far in advance of an event or an election is really it, it's useful because it gives reporters something to talk about, and you flog the poll. You sometimes try to create the poll to show that you've got momentum, or you you know the donors should give you more money. We use polls all the time in foreign campaigns, um, you know, to to show the the power structure, the change is coming, that people are going to go in this direction. But the reality is, 
taking a picture of something that's going to happen, you know, it, a poll is a snapshot at this moment in time, and it really doesn't. It's to, it's to your point earlier. When you have skin in the game, it clears your head. And I don't care if it's $1,000 or it's $10. You put even the smallest bit of money, smallest wager down on an event occurring or not occurring, you suddenly pay a lot of attention. You're it, laser focused on that. It's so fascinating. Event. It is. It's 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 that's one of the things those guys are, these guys are studying right now. Is because, why is that? Because in this in the stock market, my bets, if you call them that, are often much greater than like the three hundred dollars I might have put on Bloomberg or or on Brexit. Brexit was my very first uh, uh, investment on Predict It, and again. I didn't know anything about Brexit, and I knew the news articles were useless. So I was suddenly, though, my brain changed. Like, I didn't want to just have an opinion. I started reading all these obscure laws out of Theresa May's administration yeah. and then Boris Johnson's, and then I read all the original uh, EU rules when, when Brexit was voted on years ago. And so I became, like, obsessed about Brexit. I didn't read a single news article except maybe some headlines just to see what was going on day by day. But you really figure out how to become an expert very quickly. And I only had like a few hundred dollars on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, so the research on on uh, sports betting is interesting too because it supports that. You know, if, if, you have, if you have a little bit of money down on the, you know, football game, you are something like 11 times more likely to watch the game, hmm. right? So the fact of the matter is, and that's what drives... ESPN and a lot of these sports statistics, right? Is is a somebody who is a we call them traders. You can also call them betters, but somebody who's got some skin in the game. It becomes a voracious consumer of information about what the odds are and what the likelihood is. And then they also start to discuss. You know, in in, in some of these markets that we have in the comments section, I've you. I don't know if yes. you've looked. It's fascinating. It's really interesting. A lot of it's garbage, right? But the fact, a lot of it's people like putting out theories trying to influence the decision of other traders but we have a million comments in some of these markets yeah and and, and they're a lot more sophisticated than let's say there was a, a youtube video about biden versus sanders those comments are idiotic and everybody's just talking their opinion right. the, the, these people are in in the comment section on predicted they're trying to make money right or they have they have skin in the game that's even exactly if they're, even right. if they're only trying to make ten dollars they're like they put money down. They they made a bet, and they explain their rationale as to why they think this is you yeah. know this is worth not not that it's going to happen that, that this ten cent bet is worth twenty cents. The odds should be twenty percent. I mean, it's the other it's the other effect that's that's really interesting is we we call it uh, you know the Uncle Festa Thanksgiving conversation. So you know everybody has an uncle who sits at the edge of the end of the table during Thanksgiving and starts to opine on politics and all this business, and it often devolves into an argument, a shouting match between two sides of the table. But with Predict It, you can actually have a rational conversation with Uncle Festa about whether, okay, I mean, but should the odds be 51% of what you're saying? Or is it more like, what do you say? Would you, Uncle, would you take 51 cents on that bet for the chance to win a dollar? And, you know, he can come back and say, no, I'd take it at 40 or 30 or 50 well, you or know, 60. You see, that's interesting because then it's not quite like a stock. It's more like the options markets, right? So, so options markets, the prices of options, and we don't have to get into what options are, but you know, Nobel Prize winners have have created ways to value different options, and it's based on when is the time of the event, uh, when you know what is the volatility of the event. So I think these contracts are probably priced more like 
options co contracts. Like there's a, there's a, a Vega and a Gamma, you know, all these things that are used to, to value yep. options. And again, I, I don't want to get into the weeds of that. So it's, but, but options deal a lot more with probabilities of a certain event happening by a certain time as opposed to stocks. Right. And, and you were mentioning about the resolution authority. Like, so what happens when, you know, a, the outcome is ambiguous. The, to, for this to work, you've got to have binary outcomes, right? So everybody right. can point to it and say, this occurred or this didn't occur. And this is the authority, the resolution authority on whether it occurred or didn't occur. And so in the four and a half years that we've been, uh, we've, we've been helping to operate, predict it, um, we have found some things make really good questions and some things don't make good markets. Well, why do you have a market for how many times uh, Donald Trump will tweet this year? Because it's, it's hugely popular. People like, I mean, first of all, before Trump, Tweeting was not considered a way to communicate with anybody except maybe your girlfriend. So, but the fact of the matter is, or your your audience out yeah. there. Um, but the fact of the matter is that that uh, uh, the uh, this administration's tweets and even some of these candidates now that are tweeting, this is where policy gets made. Mm. It's so it's not irrelevant whether Trump is. It's, I mean, Matt, remember when he first came in. He would mention the name of a company. I don't know if it was Caterpillar or somebody else, and the price of the stock would go up or down based on whether they were included in the tweet that the but, president. But what's sent interesting out. about the number of tweets? Like, why is that? I mean, I could see, just in terms of like, let's say I haven't bet on that market, but let's say I, I were to bet on it, I guess I would see in the past three years how many times has he tweeted per day? What's the rough volatility of this? Does he take a break? Does he take a break during bad times, during good times? Does he tweet more when his polling's low? So I would start to analyze the right. data as opposed to making a guess. That's what the that's, skin in the game is. That's right. But why would I be interested in, in that? In the number? Yeah. Well, I don't know exactly why. I'm not allowed to bet on predicted, so let's mm -hmm. start right there. But I don't know exactly what motivates people to, to forecast number of tweets this week or next. Uh, I suspect they're trying to get into the president's head in terms of, uh, you know, when there's a tweet storm, something's going on up there and people think, you know, that is indicative of some future action. Hmm. But I don't, you know, I can't tell you why they, you know, people often will forecast around events that they have no personal interest in whatsoever. Maybe tweets is an example of that. Number of tweets is an example of that. But, you know, they, they, you know, there's a there's a theory that that you're better off uh, forecasting betting in areas where you don't have any emotional attachment whatsoever. To in, it's easy to say, it's hard to do, is to remove your emotions from your uh, from from your forecasting. But uh, that may be one of those pure play. Maybe the maybe the rationale for the the tweet markets is nobody really you know. So what? Well, well, I guess I guess the interesting thing. Is is that that feels a little bit more of a random market than the election? So the election, there's right. huge amounts of data about who's going to win this election. Now you could be wrong still, you could be right still, but millions of people have thought about this. Tweets feel how number of tweets feels somewhat random. So yeah. I'm curious if if that's more or less if you if you've found or if predicted has found that is more or less predictable than other events. Are are there events that are more random than others? There, there's certainly there's certainly are I don't know what they are, and that's what that's what some one of the things, for instance, that some of these researchers are studying. When I say researchers, I'm talking about these are these are 
the you know the, the the economics department or the mathematics or the marketing department marketing school or school of business for instance or the political science department they will have professors that there the number of of researchers is around 185 190 the number of educational institutions they're affiliated with is about 90 right now but it includes things like West Point the West Point they use predicted as part of their te- as a teaching instructional oh, that's tool that's great that is that is genius, by the way. Every course you know what I mean? should use it. Yeah. So so and then and then the Federal then you, Reserve. Then you learn. Federal Reserve gets the anonymized data, you know, from predicted and what they're using it for. I don't know. Wait. So what data do you give the Federal Reserve? Well, we 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 give them the overall trading. We don't give them the individual trader level data, and we definitely and also don't give the names of the traders out. But we we show it's mostly price. So it's bid, ask, volume, price. Uh, that that we provide, and and so some people are studying the tweets market. Some people are studying all the markets. Some people are doing lookbacks on Brexit. Look, the the golden, the the uh, the thing people are trying to discover more or less is what makes a super forecaster. If and it, can you teach those skills or habits? And then the other piece of it is, you know, in defining a super forecast, you don't need to pick Brexit six months from now ahead of the event in order to make a killing in the stock market. I'm not talking about in predict it. You can make good bank and predict it. But where, where this really is important is a currency trader or somebody who's going to who, – and, and you don't have – that currency trader doesn't need to know six months in advance what's going to happen. If he knows six minutes in advance that something's going to happen – that is coin of the realm. That is hugely valuable. So, so you you look for, I mean, there's so many things you could study. You could look at short-term volatility on predicted, if it's correlated is for it any market. Leading indicator, yeah, yeah. Are yeah. they correlated to markets where you can make an enormous amount of money? Well, I, I mean, anything to do with these with anticipating the future. Because look, it's not. It gets to your accuracy question. Predict a predicted trader doesn't have to be. Ac- more accurate 100 percent of the time. He just needs to be more accurate five percent of the time, and he only needs to be more accurate five percent of the time in a market other than predicted, but where there's a liquid market out there that is going to sw- that is going to swing dramatically based upon this outcome that this predicted forecaster is able to foresee five well, percent more more in- better than than anybody else. See, I think that's really interesting. Is that you could actually make a lot of money and be wrong most of the time. What you're really trying to find, it's so interesting because you're not really trying to make accurate predictions. That's that's a small part of being successful at predicted from my limited experience. You could correct me if I'm wrong. What you need to be really good at is understanding when predicted is under or overestimating someone's yes. chances. Yes. So if if I happen to know, let's say Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer is sick and nobody else knows it, then he probably shouldn't have 20 to 1 odds of being the first Supreme Court justice to leave the court. Maybe he should have more like 10 to 1 odds. And so I'm really making that bet without, again, making a bet on who's going to be the first to leave. I'm just making a bet that the odds should be different. Well, that's, and you think about it, think about a lot of the, lot of the um, investment decisions that are made on Wall Street, they're run by computers or looking patterns. It's not whether the te- next Tesla is going to be a particularly good or a bad car. It has more to do with, what historically what happens after a you know after some kind of a shock to the system like we're having right now and so all those you know the human we don't really understand very well 
why the human mind acts the way it does. And it's a combination of emotion and intellect and data and right time and luck, whatever that means. Uh, but we don't, we're not in the business of, of foretelling the, the, of creating a machine that foretells the future hundred percent of the time. We just, what we're looking for is a way to more accurately gauge odds and then the next person next, you know, sitting next to you or across the, the country. And so if you think about the magnitude of what the, the implications of this are, so it gets me out of bed in the morning, we're, we're trying to pull the curtain back just a little bit in terms of telling the future, just a little bit. And we don't need 20-20 vision. We just need to be able to sort of make out some shadows and some outlines. And if we can just do that, you've really advanced you know, human knowledge a great deal. And you've also, you've also created something that's, that's hugely valuable for society. So, so what, what, what research has been interesting to you in terms of the research done on this? Like, are, are there super forecasters out there? What habits do they have? And I guess the other question is what, again, how, how predictive is predicted? Like, you know, take a market that's not very volatile. So, and again, I keep going back to this yeah. Supreme Court justice right. one, but pretty much the entire time I've been invested in it, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's been at 86 cents. Maybe she was at 80 cents and as she gets older, it gets a little higher, but, uh, uh, you know, maybe that's, maybe that, maybe that market will be correct. It, there's a random component too, but it seems like a very low volatile market is probably more, accurate than a high volatile market? I don't know if that's the case. It's a really good question. I've never looked at that. I, I, I know that when there are, so with the Supreme, to your point about Supreme Court, when, when uh, Kavanaugh was selected for the Supreme Court, I don't know if you saw this data, but one of the, one of the um, groups that was doing, that was researching this, you could see information leaking into the market that Kavanaugh was going to be the pick, Trump's pick. And you can see it happening before the news stories broke. And all what that means is people with some inside information or people with superior knowledge in some way were, were yeah. acting on that. Well, and that's, that's very fascinating interesting too. Because inside information, it's, it's not quite inside information because of the context here, but superior information, markets attract superior information. I don't care if you're talking about Wall Street or you're talking about Main Street. There is a natural tendency for information to flow into these markets at light speed. And you can start to see it with something like a Supreme Court nomination. Where it came from, we don't know. How it got there, we don't know. All we know is the market started to tick up on Kavanaugh's long before it was reported. It was announced that he was the pick. And it kind of makes sense, right? You assume... You called your friends in Iowa to ask them about yeah. the ground game, I think you may have told me, you know, or the quality of the campaign, that sort of thing. That's not necessarily public information. It's not super secret. It's not classified. But by the same token, you, you know, you did what smart traders did. And as a result, you made some money on, uh, um, on Mayor Pete. Right. And, and, and you're, it's a very interesting point you're making because, because there's no such thing as inside information on a prediction market that like you said that information gets baked into the market as soon as as soon as some investigator is researching for Trump Kavanaugh that investigator's kid even might and his friends might invest on Kavanaugh on predict it and it's right. legal um and it's kind of an argument to make insider trading legal 
on the stock market because information is baked there anyway. But if a, if a market is prevented from having all the information in its pricing, it's not really an accurate market. And so withholding inf inside information from the market uh, actually makes an, a market less accurate and, and less potentially less good for the public. But so the public has two right. needs. One is don't let people make money unfairly. And that's the basis of the laws around insider trading. But the other role of a market is to be accurate, as accurate as possible. And so that- goes, You've got that tension there. There's no yeah. doubt about it. But I'm, I, just to clarify, I mean, there are very strict laws against insight using information that is non-public, whether you're trying to make a profit by with predicted or you're trying to make a profit on the New York Stock Exchange. If you are, you know, the, the, you, if you're violating the law regarding using non-public information, if you're a congressional aide, for instance, and you know a piece of legislation, it's, it's confidential, you, you, you use certain piece of information to try to make money in the stock market. You, the point being, In the stock market, yes. But in, in uh, well, no, I, I, no, I think the, the law has to do with your, your, your responsibility to the, you know, to maintain confidentiality and the like. So you can't, but I was going to get to, there are laws against insider trading that apply to you, whether you're transacting on the street corner with some type of information, or you're in the stock market, wherever you are. The, this is where the limit gets interesting again. Just as it deters a Russian oligarch from coming in, and because you, 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 the limit's 850 bucks. The, the fact that there's a limit in terms of what you can possibly invest in in any of these contracts really deters people from taking a huge risk with breaking an insider trading law. You don't have those same circuit breakers and those same restrictions in terms of the you know Wall Street. There's no you know you can make millions and millions of dollars. You really you can make a little bit of money. What's the most you've seen someone make on Predict It? Oh, I think people that make you know ten to one is not is not unheard of. You know, look ten to one odds. You buy something at ten to one odds or even a hundred to one odds. That means every one hundredth time that thing is supposed to happen. Right. So the fact of the matter is, and we all have this, what we talked about earlier, we all have this long shot bias. We all have, you know, the, you, you think youth, you know, the human mind, somehow we think we see with greater clarity what's likely to happen, whether it's the Iowa caucus right. or the Supreme Court decision, you know, and, and we, we have this long, there, it's called long shot bias. And we have this long shot bias because you think, I know it's not that likely, but if I get this one right, I'm going to get 10 to 1 on my investment. I'm going to turn $850 into $8,500. And that starts to cloud your judgment. Your, your long shot bias starts to cloud your judgment. The question is not, yes, okay, bravo. You figured out if you get 10 to 1 right, you make $8,500. The question is, is 10 to 1 the right pricing for this kind of, for, for this kind of outcome? Right. And so that's where doing research public, you know, on publicly available yeah. data, but, but seldom looked at data, uh, you know, can tell you where this might, you know, different markets might be mispriced. And again, yeah. you can make the most amount of money if you kind of spring, if you invest in 10 markets where it's all long shots, but you've done just a little bit of research to have a 1% edge over what you think is the edge everyone else has, you're going to make an enormous amount of money if just any of those That's long right. shots play off. But, you know, particularly some of them have different time spans than others, so you can reinvest and so on. But um, 
Okay, so what are the qualities of a super forecaster? Have have you guys figured it out? Well, I I don't think we figured it out, and I think that they're that's why this all these people that's why this research is so good. it's going to be so interesting. And what's been done so far is 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 really uh, you know just laying the you know every time it's it's sort of like the advance of human knowledge. Every time you think you have an answer, the best answers lead to more questions, and you well, start to go in. But you know, there's certain habits. I mean, luck has very little very little to do with it. It's like poker. Like any one game of poker or even backgammon could be won by luck. That's a very by good anybody. analogy. But it, it tends to be, there's always that saying in, in the World Series of Poker, it tends to be the same eight people in the final eight. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you, you know, luck kind of goes away uh, after a it's while. It's a highly, it's a skill. I mean, yeah, there's, poker's there's definitely a skill game. Backgammon's a skill game. Even though there's dice, even though yeah. there's cards. But, okay, so you've seen though, you know, you have leaderboards. You You know who the top, predictor is i don't know if you've called them and say hey what do you do but like what are some habits you've seen at least even if it's not researched fully they i mean so so i'll give you an example uh the one of the habits that these successful traders employ uh is that yes they they research and research and research they look into try to collect more information they consume information as we talked about same with you if you're betting on a sporting team and how do they consume information because it can't be from news articles because those are what everybody reads now they go you know for instance they'll try to get some they try to understand what the exit polls are showing right they'll try to get some kind of connection to somebody who's doing exit polls i mean on brexit there were hedge funds that retain that that hired people do exit polling in the UK, I'm talking about the original Brexit, right. to be able to get results of and extrapolate from that what was where the Brits going to going to uh, vote Leave. Right. Uh, that's an example of an extreme step that people might take, uh, where there are hundreds of billions of dollars at stake. Um, so, so they 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 do re they do research. They res they spot things like a long shot bot their own long shot bias and try to try to negate the pos the the influence as best they can and what that as a practical matter means is if you're coming into a market well in advance of the of the uh, binary outcome that's going to take place you don't really need to know you don't need to know if Bernie Sanders is going to be the nominee or not. All you need to know, if you if you can discern this, is Bernie Sanders going to have a good day? And then when he does, because he probably will have a good day. He'll probably have a couple more good days between you know now and, well, and by the November way, the, elections. In the market for who's going to be the Democratic nominee, he doesn't he doesn't rank. I mean, Joe Biden's like at right, eighty six cents also, and and and. Hillary Clinton is at 15 cents or yeah. something. Yeah, she's like, I think, yeah, I didn't know she was that high. I know she's been, you know, and, and so so you think about the psychology of the people that are buying Hillary's, right? Now, bear in mind, they might also be buying Biden's. Right, that's the other factor is that you don't, it's not voting. It's you, you just like I play, place two bets on Iowa, you kind of hedge yourself in yeah, different ways. You can't Particularly do that with the poll, If you think right? the odds are mispriced, there's ways to figure out how to hedge. Well, exactly. And that's where, my point is, that's exactly where some of these super forecasters are operating, in that realm where you're saying, I, I am uh, a combination of what the odds are, what, what, the, what the payback's going to be if I get this right, or at least if I don't get it wrong. And what the chances are that this stock price that I'm buying this at is going to go up between now and next week. And then having some discipline in there is to saying, I'm going to sell this, I'm going to sell these babies 
if they, you know, once I've doubled my money, I'm not going to try to get 10 to one. I'm going to try to get two to one. Right. So, so I guess someone betting on Hillary, again, she's at 15 cents. So it's not like there's a lot of people who think, oh my gosh, she's definitely going to be the nominee. They probably think she's not going to be the nominee, but she's going to have an uptick. Maybe they think he's going to have a big enough, you know, kind of gaff while speaking. You know, he makes these missteps mm -hmm. while speaking that she'll, the, the rumors will start and then they could sell her at 20 cents before she drops back down to 10 cents. Yeah, I'll put it another way. So you may, one may think that the odds that Biden is going to be the nominee, you know, are correctly priced at 80 cents or 85 cents right now. How is that? The, the convention is months away, 120 days away. Uh, how is how is that conviction that Biden's going to be the nominee? How does that square with? Is that really that important? If you're buying Biden's, what are the chances that Bi Biden is going to commit a gaffe at the debate next week? And what are the odds? Okay, we all know how these candidates perform. And I would think there's, a, I think there's some possibility, some possibility that there's going to be some moment at the debate which will cause the prices to fluctuate. I'll just put it that way. And if that's the case, you can go to bed tonight if you, if you are uh, betting that the price is going to drop a little bit or Bernie's price is going to go up a little bit. You can go to bed tonight you know, if you think there's something is going to happen at the debate then you can you can expect there's going to be as you, to your point volatility there's going to be a change in pricing and and then once that happens if that happens uh then you got to know when to get out and you you know you probably want to get out fast uh if if and when the price goes up so the point being and, and you know 4 months is a lifetime in politics it's we we have you know we're in the middle of one crisis there's other crises happening who knows what's going to happen Four month, by four months from now in terms of, and I would say, I think probably, you know, those, those, that pricing on Hillary's is, you know, it, all that's important is, is the price going to go up or down between now and, 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 and I guess convention. a bet on Hillary is you're sort of betting roughly on a brokered convention that he's going to make a big enough mistake that either removes him or people are going to be like, oh my gosh, we can't have him be the nominee. Who else do we have? How about the person who got the most popular votes of all time? <laughs> Let's get her again even though she lost. But uh, uh, it's so interesting because I guess, let's say someone was doing this professionally and so it's much more than skin in the game. It's like a professional outcome. It's sort of like you want to look at almost three things. A, what extra information can I get that is not normally available? I don't want to say publicly available, but not normally available. So for instance, knowing how many people Pete Buttigieg has working for him in Iowa. Then you, so, so that helps you assess the odds from an information perspective. Then it seems if you're looking at these contracts, like options contracts, and again, there are kind of standard for 40 years, standard mathematical formulas for how you value these, you could see, it would be interesting to see, do these really match how they have to match to some extent, how option contracts are valued just because there's this, there's time decay, there's a volatility factor. So you could factor that in and you could see what's mispriced if these mm -hmm. were options. And then the third thing I would probably want to do is get all the data and run it through a computer. So if if Biden, for instance, goes down five days in a row, let's say he goes from 86 to 85 to 84 to 83 to 82 cents to win the nomination, what usually happens on the sixth day of any issue going down one cent 
five days in a row from those high levels. Right. Because it's not like he's plummeting. It's just that people are slowly selling him. So there's not any factor that changed the big probabilities. It's just some weird trading is happening. It may have maybe a complete algo. You know? Yeah. So you can you can figure out odds though that way, at least a normal curve around uh, all these different markets and bet accordingly unless there's information that says, oh no, he died, so you can't bet on him. Right. So stuff like that. Well, so yeah, so the you know, looking at it from all these different angles is why is why this thing is so interesting. I, I don't I don't have the answer to the question as to what makes a super forecast right. I, I we see habits and we're gonna we're gonna figure this out. Ha, but, but it might take you, us a long time. Have you talked to one of the best uh, like who are some of the best traders? What do they tend to do? Uh yeah, we in fact one of the most one of the most interesting things we do, it's not just the best traders, it's all traders, is we do these what we call You'll get a kick out of this. These trader appreciation nights, and usually it's a debate, or it's a election night, or something like that. Uh, and we'll 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 sequester a bar somewhere. Usually it's a political bar in in state capital somewhere in Washington D.C. Sometimes. Oh man, I want to go to one of these. I know there's so much fun. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. This is how this is the <laughs> this is our own back of the envelope trader research. But you get a couple hundred of these people in the room, you buy them a bunch of drinks, and they turn it into a trading floor. It's the most interesting transformation. And uh, people want to be there because you can sort of look in, sort of get a peek into the psyche of these people who are, some of them have quit their day jobs, and all they're doing is they're forecasting unpredicted, you know, most daytime hours of the day and sometimes long into the night. And they communicate with each other. And of course, their communications with each other, we're not privy to. We don't know what they're, what they're, what do, they're doing. Do the markets change a lot after these trader appreciation nights? So they, they, they don't, that's a really good question, actually. I don't know if we've ever looked at, at trading patterns of people who come to the parties or, you know, don't come to the parties or it has no rel... I, I don't know. It's a really interesting I, question. I feel like I was getting close to hitting the leaderboards a few months ago. Oh, yeah? um, but then, you know, because I was betting that Trump would eventually get over 50 cents in terms yeah. of the popular vote and he, he's fallen in this coronavirus. Now I'm still up, like I said before, but I'm not, I'm not a leader. Yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, so I was going to say it's not just we invite everybody in the zip codes wherever we do these parties. You should have you should have one. I own the comedy club across the street. Fits 120 people and there's a bar. That's got to have one there. That's a and we have actually we've got some comedy guys. There's a, a barstool sports has a four comedians that now uh, talk about predict it and they they're 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 looking for venues like that where they can. Oh do my god, and we yeah. know barstool sports very. Okay. Tell them. The club's I, open for them. I will. I will. They're uh, these guys are hysterical, and they're 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 bipartisan offenders. They 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 don't have a political axe to grind. They just go in there and they and they. Well, that's just it. You can't have. You can't vote your opinion. You can't bet on your opinion. No, and no, opinion and, has nothing to do with it. And also another thing that's interesting. I know, you know, we we think there's an argument to be made that predicted is a the antidote to fake news. If you consume fake news and you make a bet based upon fake news, you're going to lose your money, right? So, so there is a it's a, it's it's um you know a bullshit detector, and so when you start to think, am I going to put my money down based on this outrageous rumor that just came over the the wires or that you know one of the candidates or another is putting out, I want to think very carefully before I do that. Yeah, like I again, news articles 
are just as bad here as they are in the stock market because by the time, you know, there's a saying, by the time it's on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, you're too late. Right. So it's the same thing here. You have to kind of have a, alternative ways of getting your news and then add in the fact that there's so much of this fake news or polarized news or whatever you want to call it uh, that's in the news now. You can't use that to to make your bets other than to see how things are turning out, like very yeah. superficial analysis. How's this bet looking? Right. So buy on the buy on the rumor, sell on the news, right? So yeah, or or just to see the outcome, like, oh, who won the primary? Oh, right. that's a headline. That's not fake news. I won that bet or I lost that bet. Okay, and, so let's talk about what's bottom fishing in your in this market right now. Is there any bottom fishing you would consider doing to use a Wall Street term? Uh, you know, I was looking at it. It was kind of when the when the Democratic nomination sort of settled down, there wasn't as much. the the only The only bet I regret not making was for a while. Stacey Abrams was leading for who's going to be the likely vice presidential nominee, right? And that was a and she was leading by a huge margin. And that was um, I thought at the time it was very unlikely, and I don't know why I didn't buy the no. You can buy the yes or the no contract. Yes. And so Stacey Abrams, uh, just to summarize. Uh, everybody thought Bernie Sanders was going to win the nomination. She was an employee of Bernie Sanders' campaign, and she's an African American woman, so it fit certain demographics that people were betting would be the important for the vice presidential nominee if Bernie Sanders got the presidential nomination. But I felt like that was too much of a bet on Sanders getting the nomination, and it was unlikely that he would pick someone so closely aligned that she was that 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 person would be an employee. So. That so I think bottom fishing would be looking for for things like that 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 either the odds are hugely for and you're willing to bet no or the odds are uh, hugely against and you're willing to bet yes and you feel it's mispriced. So, but in the current in all your current markets right now, I don't know. I, I don't really have that many bets on you actually. Think, right you now. think things are rationally priced right now? In a, in a weird way, yeah. Even though the world is and coronavirus is an interesting. Um, has an interesting impact in that there's no other news right now. There's no other information going into society. So everything's sort of frozen. There's literally nothing else in the news. Right. And so what what would you bet on? Like I can't you can't bet on something that's a little more random like Trump's tweets. You know, you could use actuarial tables to to bet on which Supreme Court justice is going to leave first. Uh, you know, there's some bets on the economy you can make. I'm not as familiar with a lot of the foreign markets, even though I did bet on the Brexit stuff. So I, I don't know where I would bottom fish at the moment. I feel like things are, I feel like most of the time things are rational and you just have to wait for those moments where they're irrational. Why don't you have a coronavirus market? Well, we're, we're actually going to be putting up some. That will have some interesting, uh, what would you call it? Like interesting um, value inside the bet inside oh, the market yeah no there's definite there's definite price discovery on on you know how many cases are going to be diagnosed for instance or well, like like biden there's no interesting discovery because it's like it, it, he's already kind of got a lock on the nomination so you're you're sort of betting that something bad's going to happen to him or he's going to create a gaff so bad unlike his other fifty thousand gaffes this one would be so bad that it will deter people from voting for him at some point, I yeah, I'm not I'm not predicting that one way or another. I'm just saying, right, right, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying that's that's why with, it doesn't seem that's quite so far fetched though, does it? When you start thinking about it in the context, if we've got 120 days to the convention, you got another, you know, three four months after that to the general election. You know, what are the what are the odds? This is gonna there's not gonna be a banana peel. 
Well, well, that's why he's not at 95 cents at this point. I bet you the similar well, uh, uh, right. context in another election, you, you know, somebody who won Super Tuesday and all the earlier primaries or whatever, you know, someone who's leading delegates at this point would probably have a 92, 93 cent chance. There's only, only death really would, would, would prevent him from, or a scandal would prevent him from winning. But, you know, people are betting on these gaffes, but the flip side of it, he's already made a thousand gaffes and that didn't deter people from voting for him. So... It's hard to make. It's hard to make. It's probably reasonably priced, is what I'm saying. Right, but I would. So I would go back to the earlier comment. So I don't. Th I mean, I, I don't think anybody's got a lock to use that expression. I, I and I'm I'm including the incumbent president. I don't think anybody's got a lock. Who would have thought that you know this this uh, pandemic uh, and the and the White House handling of of this. Um, who would have thought, who would have predicted that? Yeah, three months ago. But I, I mean, this is just three months ago, or even two months ago, you know. And 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 so I think there's I think there's I think the situation is a lot more fluid than people think. And I would look for those that that other people think is a lock. And I would I mean, if I could bet if I could bet and predict it, I would probably go. You know, again, but there you go with the long shot bias. But I would say anybody that anything that seems like a, anything where confidence is going to be shaken by a development completely out of the control of the the protagonist is is relevant. There's a saying we have in presidential campaigns, which is there are four things that generally speaking affect determine whether you're going to win a presidential, your side's going to win a presidential election. And you have no control over three of the four things. The first thing you don't have any control over is who your opponent's going to be, right? No control. Uh, the second thing you don't have any control over is the condition of the economy. Sound familiar? There's no control on the condition. I mean, I don't care what somebody says about the incumbent steering the economy or the incumbent thinks he gets credit for the economy. He has no control over the economy. The third thing you have no control over is, is the October surprise. You don't right. know what Putin's going to do. We don't know what the Iranians are going to do. What what the you know the dictator in in North Korea is going to do. We and have also, no just, idea. also just randomly, whatever the narrative in the media is, you don't know what's going to be the narrative. You don't like, have any you have any idea any control over that. Think think about 1976. Uh, you know Carter was ahead of Gerald Ford in the polls, and then the October surprise was a Playboy interview came out where he said he had he occasionally had. Lust, lust in, in his, his eyes. heart. Yeah, your lust <laughs> in his heart. Yeah, for for other women. Right, and that almost took the election from him. Right. So, right. but but to your point though, that's why Biden's not at a hundred cents. He's at eighty six cents, eighty five cents. You know, who knows? You'd have to study prior elections where the winning candidate was at this time, and then decide to see whether where those were priced. Is Biden priced? If Biden was priced exactly the same as Obama was at this time in two thousand eight, that might be. Maybe Biden's mispriced because Obama was probably more of a lock, right? And so you'd have to kind of study that data. And I don't even know if there's enough data. Oh, to I really don't think study. Obama was anything close to a lock at this point. Yeah, so you'd have to look at some election where somebody was a lock and just compare to right. to where Biden. If was Biden similar or what's the differences? Okay, he can make one of these gaffes. Is that priced in already to the right. market? Uh, so it's hard to just bet that it'll happen without understanding if it's mispriced. Is my guess right? So you look for price. You look for price what you consider to be price discrepancies. That's what we're coming to, yeah. right? You look for things where you think the market is overestimating or underestimating the likelihood something's going to happen, and not that it's going to happen in the long run. It's going to, but that events are going to intrude, and they're going to cause people to bid up or bid down something that previously appeared to be more than likely to happen. And I think we got plenty of 
I mean, there's no shortage of opportunities for yeah. people to for people to be forecasting in this market currently. Well, this is the interesting thing is that when you say these con- you know these contracts are between zero and one hundred, which make them look like they're odds, and when you say something has odds, that implies and I'm not going to get too much into the weeds, but that implies some sort of bell curve or normal curve distribution on the probabilities of these events. But there's not a normal curve distribution because it's more like an earthquake distribution. You you can't ever say, oh, the, the odds of an earthquake are 5% today. There's no such thing. It's right. just an earthquake. An earthquake is always a one in a million event, and yet it will happen more than one in a million times. Right. So so you're, you're looking for situations where... Uh, the the tail of the curve has an has a different shape than a normal curve. It's true, and, and you'd have to identify those markets where that could happen. But if if you can spot those in advance, all of a sudden you've got that's in, that in itself is a hugely valuable data point. Right, like 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 you know insurance companies. Because you just said exactly. You know insurance companies take markets. Insurance companies are are prediction markets, right? So insurance companies look at all the odds of of. Someone with my characteristics, uh, you know, 52 years old, male, certain education, certain health history, and they come up with, they have thousands of examples of people exactly like me, and they determine the odds I'm going to die. And and then they price their life insurance accordingly. Now, they may be wrong on me or they may be right on me, but over the long run with people, they'll probably be right because there's a, because there's a luck factor with each mm-hmm. thing. Here... You don't have thousands of bets you're making. You're making just one bet on Joe Biden, say. And so the luck factor you have to take into account in, in a different way. Right, but we have the benefit of having, you know, we've had a, a, a over a billion shares transacted. Yeah, and 29,000 traders. So there's a lot of information in, right. baked into the market. So you, so you can view it as very reliable in an actuarial sense. But you're still going to have that you're kind of have, right. earthquake moment. Well, you know what? I mean, that, that's what they, it, it, to your point, I mean, you have, you know, hurricane landfall options that insurance companies insure against. You know, yeah. is it going to be in the Gulf or is it going to be on the Panhandle? Those are the same, I guess. But Yeah, no, you're right. Those are, they, when they do catastrophic insurance, those are similar. You have to price those similarly But to they're not yours. just pulling it out of the air, right? They're looking at similar catastrophes. What right. was the cost of those catastrophes? How do we reinsure against the, you know, the most likely or the, the most expensive uh, and most likely events occurring? So it's... Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, I just... People call me all day long. Um, it's another five minutes, you think? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, is is that okay with you? That, yeah, yeah. I, I'm enjoying this. Immensely. I mean, I mean, there's honestly six thousand more questions, but right. I'm I I really. Well, first off, I, I don't even know where to begin. I have so many questions. Go ahead. Well, okay. Let's talk more about the forecasters. What do you think are other than keeping emotions out of it, having um, a, an obsessive interest in finding unusual information advantages? What are some other habits? Do you do you see the most successful traders? making bets on long shots or making, you know, there's one strategy, which is just to always bet on the sure thing. And, and that's going to work until it doesn't. Right. Well, I'll tell you, I, I mean, let me, let me tell you what, what we've found is not the, what conventional wisdom, where it might be wrong in terms of assuming who these super forecasters are. The super, for, we have, you know, we have very popular zip codes, Wall Street being one of them, K Street another, you know, the, the, but, but by and large, the traders are not political junkies. It's interesting to me. That's fascinating. I always thought that the people would be trading in and out of predicted would be people who are, you know, they're working on a campaign or they're, you know, they're 
the reporters, for instance, or the covering the elections for some other reason, or they're you know government affairs people. We have a lot of those people, but but by and large, it's not political junkies. Another interesting thing is the split of registered Democrats versus Republicans versus unaffiliated voters almost exactly mirrors what this the party registration is in the United States. So there isn't a whole bunch of people who are Democrats or Republicans that are. So that's another thing that's interesting. Now, what we don't yet know is, well, let's take a look at the people, the, the kinds of people that are buying, that are correct on long shots or not correct on long shots. That's where a lot of this research is going on. We have some you know, working theories, obviously. We've been fascinated by you know, what makes for a super forecaster. But we don't really have the definitive information. You know, age group, for but, instance. Most, you know, there's an age skew. There's a gender skew, all that stuff. Even for the are, most successful predictors, it's all across the board demographically? Yeah. So, yeah, so, so, so far. Let, let me ask this related to that. Is uh, if predicted is largely successful at being a predictor of events, wouldn't it be the case that the, the most successful forecasters simply bet all the time on the higher price contracts? The higher price contracts are all the, the events that are likely to happen. So if you just, if predicted is truly predictive, wouldn't a high price contract, like you know, something trading seventy cents, eighty cents, wouldn't that just go higher and higher as we get closer to the event date? If if it, unless new unless new inter information intercedes, and, and how often does it, does that happen? How often are, does does basically predict it have somebody who's seventy cents or has an event that's seventy cents for a long period of time right. and then lose? So that's a really good question. So there's something called a Breyer score, and there's a bunch of different ways to calculate this. We throw out a number, and I'm not going to try to defend it, but we throw out a number of 75 to 80% accuracy, which means that the market is saying something is more likely to happen than not, and that thing happens. What's really important is, because that doesn't really matter, right? Right. It's... It's useful. It is. It does answer the question. But what really matters is how often is the market, and how far off from the event is it accurate? Which is where the Breyer score comes in. In other words, if I can pick something that's going to happen six months before, it's what we talked about before. Six months before it happens, with better than fifty percent uh, acuity, that is that's interesting. Because look, I mean, Elizabeth Warren was the the runaway front runner. Six months ago, seven months ago, yeah, right, uh, and then it was Bernie, right, who who was on this insurmountable climb, you know, and and the markets. One of the things that's interesting is the markets anticipated before it became the news cycle sort of mantra. Oh, Bernie's going to be unstoppable, blah blah blah. The markets anticipated that, and you could see just like with the Kavanaugh nomination. I'm not sure it was. Informa superior information, probably, but it was probably other factors as well. But you can see the markets anticipating the rise or the, the demise of some of these candidates. So I wouldn't, you know, um, we're, we're in we're in uncharted territory in a lot of these in a lot of these markets. I really don't know who's going to be the Democratic nominee. I mean, I really feel like I don't know. So so even though uh, I know what the markets are saying. Yeah, and and I by the and I, as I mentioned earlier, I have no bet on on this at the moment because I kind of think the pricing's accurate in the sense that Biden's it's efficient. Yeah, yeah, I was saying it's efficient that Biden's got the delegates probably, but there's enough you know questions about him that he's probably not priced as high as a similar candidate would be in a similar position. So I kind of think he's he's priced 
uh, rationally, even though, like you say, he's, he might lose. We don't really know. Uh, you know, the only the only one, you know, thinking about it, uh, Trump is probably a little mispriced on the popular vote right now. So he's so he's trading at twenty six cents, uh, which sort of means you know a twenty six percent chance people you know he will win the uh, popular vote. Uh, it doesn't mean he'll only get 26% of the popular vote. It's more 26% yes, right. chance. That's right. And my guess is the reason he's probably mispriced, again, it's not that he's, I think he's going to win it or lose it, but my guess is there's going to be up to, like right now we're sort of in this panicky period about coronavirus. So he's at, a, and he just had this press conference yesterday. So he's at a low point. And probably as we get more certainty, markets loathe uncertainty. Yes. So as we get more certainty, one way or the other involving coronavirus, and as we get closer to the Republican convention, where typically nominees get a boost at their convention, my guess is 26 cents is, he, he, at least he's going to go up to 35 or 40 cents at some point. But again, you know, that's the only one, if I'm thinking about it now, that I might place a bet on. Right, right. And that's how I would think about it, but I'd have to look further. Right. And, and how long does it take you before? For, for the moment you have an investment thesis, let's call it that, unpredicted. How long does it... Is there a traditional or average period of time you take before you put your money down? Uh, is it weeks or is it days? Or couple, is it a day or two. But I'll tell you, uh, Brexit, I did, which was the first one I made, I did that instantly because, uh, and probably for all the wrong reasons, but I was just I just wanted to experiment with placing bets on this. So for me, it was an experiment at first, yeah. and I got and then I got obsessed, and I became <laughs> I literally I knew nothing about Brexit other than the fact that I didn't believe world leaders when they put dates on things, which has no basis in reality. It was just my my opinion. But then I started researching and you know saw how many trade deals had to be put together. I saw this stopgap yeah. with Ireland and Northern yeah. Ireland. It was just too, it, it, it looked to me more and more like it wasn't gonna happen. I even, I, I, I might've doubled down or at least thought about doubling down at one point because it was going against me for a while. But you know, most of the time it takes me a day or two. Right, and, and when you decide to dump something, is it? Are you thinking from the moment you first put that bet down? Are you starting to thinking about? Or do you think about when you're going to exit? I'm, I don't know. I mean, I'm just curious how, what your habits are. are you, uh, it depends on the market. Do you immediately like, start reevaluating the price. Like like Bloomberg, I was down from the moment I placed the bet, and then just on those days when he was, um, there was rumors about Hillary Clinton being the VP. He shot up, so I was like hugely up, but I knew I had made a mistake in the initial bet, so. I just, I didn't even think about it. I just took that out. off. Yeah. You wanted So out. I was up. I, I want to, my mistake probably was Heading staying in. Heading for the in. exit, yeah. I mean, I probably shouldn't have stayed in, but it was, it got down so much so fast that I figured, okay, I, it's probably mispriced here. Given the fact that he's spending hundreds of millions of dollars, there's got to be at least, a, even if I got out negative, there's got to be a better price that I was going to get out. Right, right. Interesting. That's so, interesting. Well, that's, you have to think like an investor. So an right. investors, you have, you have to look every day not at whether you're up or down, but whether today's price is a good investment. Right. And that you have to do the same thing in these things. That's right. So look, I'd love to have you back what on at some is it point. Anyway? Is it? Uh, yeah, you have to you have to go. It's 127. Oh uh, yeah, I gotta fly. So so I'd love to have you back. Wow. And, hour and, and a half. Boy. Yeah. I'd love to go over it's the fastest hour and a half I've spent. It's really fun. Actually. Yeah, no, it's I hope it's, you guys enjoy this conversation. It's, it's great. So so just one quick question. Who's made the most money on Predict It? Who has? Yeah. Oh, uh, it's some some, how much did they make? Oh, I, I don't know, but it's like who much is, has anyone pulled out like fifty thousand dollars out of predicted? Oh yeah, even though a thousand dollars is yeah, the yeah, yeah. max you could put in. Not not on one not on one 
uh, forecast. I right, mean, right, but just overall. Oh yeah, definitely. Like people who quit their jobs, they're like, you know, the I'll give you some another statistic. The average first-time deposit when somebody comes to the site, I'd be interested to know if it compares to the average first-time deposit when somebody comes to the site is two hundred and sixteen dollars. It's probably close to mine. That, it's interesting. So you get, and then what happens is some of them get washed out. They, you know, they they lose the money or they'll yeah. withdraw the money or whatever it is, uh, but what happens with most of them is they just start to get into it and even if they even if they take a, a spanking on the first on the first investment they figure that they, they there's a learning curve they go through which is which is fascinating to me and how much but of some the, of these guys are making yeah they're making enough to quit their wall street jobs i mean really that's amazing yeah. we're starting off with a thousand dollars yeah i mean maybe that's an exaggeration maybe you know it's definitely a lot more than 50. Oh, that's amazing so uh, and a lot of these leaderboards, some of these people are up thousands of percent. And do they tend to be up from, you know, they bet big on one long shot and it happened? No, or no, they have no. like good consistent bets? No, they're like, they're they're in there. The, the, the guys that consistently are at the, you know, in the top, you know, 400, 500 of the leader, those guys are people that are, they don't make it on one. And I mean, and, and you have, <clears throat> you just, you know, the tears when people, you know, they, they, some of these guys that have done very well lose some money, you know, that, and, you know, God help us if the question is worded ambiguously, which we don't make that mistake very often. But. No, in trade had that mistake uh, quite a bit. Yeah. But it, um, it takes actually, the, we, we could have a whole session talking about how the questions are formulated, but we welcome market ideas from the traders. And sometimes they're, it's just not practical, and sometimes it violate it would violate the the you know, terms under which we can operate. We do, we don't do those, obviously. So so so, John, I'd love to do a part two of this where it would be great. Like in maybe in a few weeks or a month, we can just look at kind of the uh, top trading markets and kind of just talk about Absolutely. each one. Maybe I'll even have like a political guy or, yeah. or experts in in the room as well. And um, the other thing we didn't get to, which is uh, decentralized prediction markets, where the participant can pose events. And that's when you start to get into the assassination market thing yeah, again. Yeah. But there's like a, a cryptocurrency auger. I don't know how yeah. you say it, A-U-G-U-R, yeah. where people can make events. I don't know what kind of liquidity is there or yeah. if anything. Um, I don't know if that's going to get popular or not. I know at one point they they reached out to me when I wrote about Predict It, they also reached out yeah. to me. And uh, there's just a lot of a lot of fun stuff here. Yeah, there's a, there, we'll definitely be talking about this for a long time to come. It's, it's definitely interesting. And we're just, we're, you know, not even halfway through the election season. So. Well, and if you're gonna, when you when are you gonna launch the coronavirus market? And I We're hate gonna, to, yeah. it sounds almost insensitive, like, oh, I can't wait to bet on coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. But it's well, interesting. I mean, so I don't, I don't know. We're actually sort of thinking through <clears throat> how we do this in a way that's tasteful, but at the same time is produces valuable information. Well, I mean, it's, it's valuable I don't know about that, you guys, but I wake up every day now, and it is in my consciousness as to is this how bad is this going to get? Just leave it at. Just that question: How bad is it going to get? It's it's, and it, <clears throat> I would love to have some empirical information other than what you know they're they're announcing all the time. Well, I'd well, love to have some other data point to say, well, you know what, the odds are such and such that it's going to get this bad or this bad, or you know, even in brackets, I'd like to know. right, which is why a prediction market would be valuable because I think there's so much just random news. And because nobody has skin in the game, you can write all these crazy articles about all these different theories that are just 
BS. Yeah. And a prediction market would solve a lot of those it would give us issues. Some, it would give us some another data point. I mean, we've been obsessed with this too. We've done three podcasts now on coronavirus, which is not our thing at all to do topical right. podcasts like that, but it's so much on people's minds. Like I said earlier, it's the only news in the newspaper right, right now. It's, you can't even bet on anything else because nothing... It's like the rest of the world's frozen. Yeah. So so maybe we'll do some event at the you mentioned you have a comedy club. I'll I'll yeah. mention this to Barstool and see what their see what their plans are. Yeah, but yeah. I, and they and know then the I'll, club. I'll put they know you me. in touch with them and, yeah. and uh, if that's something they want to do. Because that would be a good chance to sort of interview some of the traders. Yeah. Which oh, is I'd like interesting because you get to see these, you know, those that's fascinating. Yeah. And you see them interacting with each other and they're talking up the price or talking down the price or, you know, uh well, it's well, great. Well, Thank you very much. Yeah, for John, me over. thanks for coming on and sure. and plan about a month from now coronavirus you know allow, uh, allowing to come back and let's let's yeah. do this again and talk about all these other issues and, and some of the markets thanks, thanks. 